Jeremiah 31, and if you got it, say got it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for allowing us to join in with what you're doing in the nations, in the country, Lord, along the coastline here, in Los Angeles, in London, in Stockton, and now in San Francisco. We are humbled, Lord, that you would allow us to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, we ask now as they're, they're getting ready for their first service, people are starting to show up. They're there. They've already had their morning prayer meeting. Dave's just tripping out. Lord, that you would bless them. You would bless those who are serving there, Lord, and you would fall on that place in a powerful way this morning. Lord, that you would bring a great light to that city. Lord, today that as we birth that church in San Francisco, that, Lord, you in a new, fresh way would be birthed in that city. Thank you, Lord. And as we study your word here, as we look at these wonderful truths regarding grace and the cross, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. We open our minds and our hearts and ask that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit. We want to hear what you would say to your church here. We ask that you deliver us from legalism, Lord. You deliver us from any preconceived ideas of what we think you want to do in our hearts today. And we, we surrender to you, Lord. I, I surrender to you everything I've prepared and everything I think you want to say to us. Just ask that you would speak. You would speak, Lord. You would anoint me for your purpose and for your glory, for your will to be done here. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody say. Amen. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. We're going to stop right there. The Lord said through Jeremiah, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he sat down with his disciples there in that upper room and they partook together of the Passover meal. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and it says there in Luke 22 verse 20 that he held it up and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. The next morning, Jesus Christ would be killed on a cross he would shed his blood, and with his life, he would purchase this new covenant. Hebrews 10 says that we access the new covenant, uh, the new and living way, as the writer of Hebrews refers to it, that we access it through the flesh of Jesus Christ. That is, through the life given on the cross, the new covenant is accessed by us, the sinner turned into saint. Jesus on that cross purchased this, the new covenant. Christ gave his life. His body was broken. His blood was spilled so that we could partake of this new covenant spoken of here in Jeremiah 31. Now if Christ was willing to give his life to purchase this new covenant, if it was so important that he held up the cup and he said, this is the new covenant, in my blood. And that next day he would spill that very blood to purchase the new covenant. What was so important 
about the new covenant, that he was willing to do that. Well, let's go on and say what the Lord says about the new covenant. Verse 33, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. He's going to explain it right now. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This covenant, it was, it was promised to Israel here in Jeremiah 31. But promised to Israel eventually. However, it has been inaugurated for the church today, here and now. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way, that is the new covenant, which he, that is Jesus, inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. It says here that Jesus has inaugurated for us the new covenant. Inaugurate, it means to make operative, to put into effect, to make active. And Jesus died on the cross. He purchased the new covenant. And though the new covenant was promised to Israel, eventually it has been given to us today. It has been made active for us today. The covenant, it was a threefold covenant. If you're taking notes, first of all, a covenant of forgiveness. Look at the end of verse 34 here. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. With one sacrifice, Jesus purchased the forgiveness of sins for all mankind. We could never earn the forgiveness of sins. We could never do enough good to, to make up for our sin. But with one sacrifice, Jesus purchased forever the forgiveness of sins for all mankind. And not just forgiveness like, oh, I forgive you, man. It's cool. I'm going I'm to try to forget about it, but it's all good. Not that kind of forgiveness, but a complete washing, a complete cleansing, a complete removal of sin. Look what it says there. Their sin I will remember no more. Did you know that today, if you're in Christ Jesus, the Lord has separated your sin as far as the east is from the west, and it says in the Psalms that he chooses to, to forget it and to remember it no more, even like it says here, I will remember no more. And so it was a covenant of forgiveness. Second of all, a covenant of relationship. By the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have been given access to intimacy, the veil was torn in two. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? It says that in the temple, the veil was torn in two from the top to bottom, mind you. Just the Lord reaching down and saying, Whoosh, come on in. Humanity who has been so far off from me, who was never able to come into my presence. We enter in now through the flesh, through the veil, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ. Second part of this covenant Access to intimacy. There in verse 34, read it. For they all shall know me. No more shall every man say to his brother, know the Lord, know the Lord, but they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. The Lord's not talking about just knowing, kind of like, yeah, I know the Lord. Like, yeah, I know Dominic. The Lord's talking about something deeper, something richer. He's talking about intimacy. This word know in the Hebrew, it's the word yada. It's the same word that would be used when it says Adam went in 
and knew his wife Eve. There it's speaking of sexual intercourse. And the Lord says, no, I'm talking about intimacy. I'm not talking about knowledge or knowing of me, knowing about me, knowing the things of me, knowing who I am and what I do. I'm talking about intimacy. I'm talking about a relationship. And so first it was a covenant of forgiveness. Second of all, a covenant of relationship. But not only did Jesus purchase in the new covenant the forgiveness of sins, that is our salvation, not only did he purchase access to intimacy, that is a relationship with the living God, but he also on the cross purchased our sanctification. Sometimes we think like this, though we would never say it. Lord, thank you that you've provided all that I need on the cross for my salvation. Everything that I needed to be born again, you provided it all. I could do nothing. Lord, now that I've been saved, I think I'm good to go. I think I got it. I think I got it from here, Lord. Thank you for doing that work, the initial work. Thank you for saving me. But I think from now on, I think I got it, Lord. I think I'm good to go. And though we would never say that, sometimes that's, that's how our thinking is. I have a question, though. According to Ephesians chapter 2, it says, we have been saved by, by grace through faith. That's how we're saved, by grace through faith. You put your complete trust in Jesus and his work on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life. That's, that's faith. And then you receive this free gift from God, which is eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. It's a gift of grace. It is a free gift of grace. You know, grace, it's getting something you don't deserve. I, I see you on the street and I don't have any clue who you are. I don't know who you are, but I buy you a candy bar. Uh, somebody slaps me in the face, I give them a hug. They punch you in the nose, you give them a kiss. They break your leg, you buy them dinner. It's grace. It's something that's undeserved. And in America, we'd call that like stupid or weird or just <laughs> something else. But it's also grace. Getting something you don't deserve. It's been said that grace is the centerpiece of the gospel. Grace, church, is the very crux of the gospel. When I say the gospel, I don't just mean the gospel only unto salvation. I'm talking about the entire good news of who Christ is and what he's, he's done and what he wants to do in our lives continually. It is the centerpiece of the gospel. Now, the love of God is, is, is the essence of the gospel, no doubt. But even the love of God being extended to an undeserving people is a manifestation of the grace of God. It is a gift of grace that God loves us. So, have we been saved by church? There's like nine of you who answered. <laughs> We've been saved by grace. grace. Okay, we've been saved by grace. Second question. After we've been saved, how do we grow as followers of Christ? And you might say, well, uh, I'm going to give you a list. Um, we read our Bibles. You know, we feast on the word of God. We, we are intimate with God in prayer. Um, we, we go out and we, with Christ, join with him in his mission. and We obey his word. We worship him and we engage in intimacy like that. We, we fellowship with believers and, and we give all these lists of things that we do to grow in God. How are we saved? By grace. How do we grow? Well, this and this and this and this and this. Now, all those things are true. 
All those things are true that we, we grow by those things. But in the same way and to the same degree that we needed the grace of God to save us to Christ, so we need the grace of God to keep us in Christ. To the same degree that we needed Christ to save us, I'm sorry, that we need grace to, to, for God to save us, so we need grace for God to keep us. We are not just saved by grace. We are sustained by grace. We are healed by grace. We are strengthened by grace. We overcome by grace. We have victory by grace. We learn and we grow by the grace of God, or at least we ought to. The power of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God to do effective mission comes by the grace of God. It's been said that the grace of God is the channel through which every blessing and every provision of God comes. You need something? It's a gift of grace. It comes by grace. We throw this, this, this thing around, this word grace, we throw it around kind of flippantly, you know, like, oh yeah, by the grace of God, yeah, I'm going to get it done. And, oh yeah, the grace of God. And by the grace of God, we're going to do this. And man, Lord, I need your grace. And we just kind of float around. I, I think we, we forget the, the gravity of that word. Like, it is everything. Every single blessing and provision of God comes through the channel of grace. Colossians 2.6, I love this verse. It says, as, very, 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 very important word in this verse. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. In the same manner that you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, salvation. So walk in him. Grow in him. Be sanctified in him. Learn in him. Do mission in him. In the same way that you received him, now walk with him. How, did, how, how have we been saved? By, by grace. And then he says in that same way, walk in him. Grow in him. Grow in the grace of God. The third part of this covenant, it's a covenant of an internal working of God to change and enable our lives. Look at verse 33. He says, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. Literally, their inward parts. It is a covenant where God would change and enable our lives. This is not a commandment. This is a provision. This is a provision of God. Ephesians 1.3 says, God has, past tense, Blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. In other words, every blessing of heaven, every good thing in heaven, God has given it to us. God has already, not he maybe is gonna or probably will, but God has already given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Everything that we need. Everything, every resource that God has for our lives, he's given it to us. Now, you, you may say, nah, nah I'm, not, I'm not buying that, dude. Well, we may not have experienced some. We may not be aware of many. 
But in Christ Jesus, they are all ours as we walk and abide in him. Paul goes on there in Ephesians 1 to say, just as, in other words, in the same way that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and already done this great thing, in that same way, God chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In the same way that God's already given us every spiritual blessing, he has chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That means before you could do or be anything for or against God, that he chose you. Before you were born, before you grew up and developed gifts that could maybe one day be used for the glory of God and the furtherance of his kingdom, before you even thought about working for the kingdom of God and doing mission for the glory of God, God saw you and said, I'm choosing them. God did not choose us because of who we were. He didn't, he didn't see you and say, man, they're a really good speaker or they're really good with people. I think, I think we need them. The Lord did not look at me and say, we don't have any dreads, do we? Should we? Yeah, let's. No, the Lord didn't say, I, I need some more musicians to accomplish my purpose in the world. Uh, so God did not look at us or our gifts or who we were. God did not choose us because of something we've done or who we were or who we are. Before the foundation of the world, before you could do or be anything, God chose you. And what did he choose you for? To be holy and without blame. Holy, uh, that is, you know, set apart for nothing and nobody other than God and his work. Without blame, that is without blemish. Spotless, without fault or mark. God shows you to be holy and without blame. Now, when we hear that, we say, okay, before the foundation of the world, God shows us that we should be holy and without blame. <sighs> okay, you know, I'm thinking about my life, and I'm, I'm not really that holy, and I'm not really that blameless, and gosh, Lord, I really want to work on that. We're immediately thinking, this is something I need to do. There's something I need to do to accomplish this holiness and this blamelessness. But this is not a command. It's not saying, now you go be holy. Remember, just as... He has given us already every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. In that same way that he's done that, God shows you before the foundation of the world that you would be holy. Not chose you so he could tell you to be holy. He chose you to be holy. He has made you holy in Christ. He has made you blameless. This is not a command. You go, be holy. This is also not something that we have to work for. Well, God wants me to be holy, so darn it, I'm just going to try with all my heart to just to, to do it. That's not what God is saying here. Holiness and blamelessness is not something that you can just work really hard at to attain. It'd be like saying to my wife, hey, baby, so I've been thinking, and I don't know, tell me what you think about this, but from now on, I, I'm going to be perfect. <laughs> Right? It's just weird. 
It's not something we can attain. This isn't something we can try to be. Church in Christ, this is who you are. This is who you are. You are holy and you are without blame. In verse 33 there it says, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. God said, I will do it. I will do it. My law. He says, I will put my law on their hearts. Like, what does this mean? I will put my law on their minds. And does that mean he's going to mark it permanently on our minds so that we, we always are convicted by the Holy Spirit? And that, that's how you read it, maybe. But no, this is a covenant where God changes us into the image of Christ. Let's talk about the law for a minute. The law basically boiled down to three things. One, be holy. Leviticus 19, 1 Peter 1. How holy? As holy as God. Two, be loving. Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19, Matthew 22. Be loving. How loving? Well, love the Lord. Love your neighbor. Be as loving as Jesus. Three, be perfect. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. The law boiled down to three things. Be holy, as holy as God. Be loving, as loving as Jesus. Be perfect, as perfect as your Father in heaven. You know what I love? In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, don't think that I've come to destroy this law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but I came to fulfill it. The law of God is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As we continue in this series, Missio Christi series, to look at the life of Christ and the mission of Christ, we're going to continue to see that he is holy, that he is loving, that he is perfect. Christ alone, he fulfills the law. The law ultimately described the character of God. You shall not lie. God does not lie. It described the character of God. So it describes who Jesus is. He is holy. He is loving. He is perfect. And as we join in the mission of Christ and what he is doing in the world around us, the world should begin to see by our lives just how loving, perfect, and holy Jesus really is. I mean, that's the idea, right? Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and give glory to God in heaven. That's the idea that our lives would describe who Jesus is. That people would look at us and look at how we interact with them and look at how we treat them. And they would say, if, if, that, if that's who Christ is because you call yourself little Christ Christian, then I, yeah, for sure he's the savior of the world. Because in that life, Man, I see holiness, the holiness of Christ. I see the perfection of God. I see the love of Christ and how they interact with me. Yeah, that, that, that must be what Jesus is like. That's the idea that the world around us would see Christ. But you know, we can get so consumed with the mission of Christ that we forget that we're followers of Christ. We can get so wrapped up in doing that we forget to just be. And Britt and I and 
Chris Lazo, who is teaching in Reality Carp this morning, we were talking about uh, what we'd be teaching this morning in the middle of this Missio Christi series. And you know, it was really on Britt's heart that in the midst of, of so much spurring on to do, that we'd remember to just be. We can get so wrapped up in doing that we forget to just be in Christ. We can get so wrapped up in the mission of God that we forget that we are followers of God. I want to remind us of something this morning that God doesn't need us, but he does choose and love to use us. It'd be really easy to get so wrapped up in doing that we kind of just lose God in it all. And at the end of the day, it just, it's not the work of God, it's just work. And idolatrous work at that. In our culture, productivity is everything. We are bent by our flesh and our society to think that success and acceptance should be directly related to the effectiveness of the work done by the worker. That's how our society trains us and from the littlest age that success and acceptance are directly related to, to how much effective work the worker can get done. But in the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom in which we live, amen? I said amen. amen. In the kingdom of God, success and acceptance aren't related to the work of the worker at all. Success and acceptance are directly related to the completed work of Christ on the cross. Successful mission, successful victory over sin, any success in the kingdom of God is directly related to the victory that Christ won on the cross. The only reason that God has accepted us is because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. But that's not how we think, huh? That's not how we, we naturally, in our natural man, in our, our culture, think. I recently heard of this very, very, very well-known pastor in the United States here, uh, maybe one of the most influential pastors in the country. And one of his staff members was telling a friend of mine, you know, our pastor, he, he requires three things of every single one of his staff members. Results, results, and results. And, you know, we kind of giggle. We kind of like, oh, that's funny. That's, you know, whatever. But isn't this kind of often how we, we view our relationship with God? We, we wouldn't really voice it maybe like that, but we're looking for results. We're looking for just, we work so hard to bear fruit, and we think everything is bearing fruit, that we forget how we actually bear fruit as Christians. Jesus said, you abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. A, abiding equals B, bearing fruit. We're just like, A, I'm going to get it done. I'm just going to go straight to B. Effectiveness, productivity, baby. Results, results, results. I'm going to get it done. And all the while, it's just meaningless work, not to mention that it kills us. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. And Christ is saying, yo, dude, you detach yourself from me. You just lay on the ground, and you don't bear any fruit. You work really hard. You ever, you ever gone into an orange orchard and seen, seen some branches being all... <laughs> like trying to pop out fruit? No, the branches are just chilling. They're abiding in Christ, right? They're just like, 
just chilling. Christ said, you abide in me, you shall bear fruit. That's, that's A. A equals B. Don't try to just jump to B and skip it. Think that, you know, the Lord's going to be stoked with your efficiency or something. You're not going to get a raise at work if you do that, you know. It's just going to be a lot of hard work and it's going to kill you. We think like, at the end of the week, I've read my Bible a whole bunch. I've prayed. I've spent a lot of time in prayer. And, you know, I've, I've, I've resisted temptation. I've even been looking for opportunity to be on mission and to be Christ to those around me. If at the end of the week, that's me, I feel pretty good about myself, you know. And worse than that, I think deep down that God is a little more stoked with me. But on the other hand, if I didn't, read my Bible at all this week, and I didn't spend any time in prayer, and I actually fell into temptation. I was not on mission. I was just totally self-consumed. Then I feel kind of like, man, there's, there's, the Lord's not really, like, stoked with me right now. Not to mention I'm not really stoked with myself. It's all based on our performance and, and what we've done or haven't done. Listen, when God gave the, the law to Israel... The idea was not that the law, the, the do's, the doing, could bring a person to righteousness or could bring a person to intimacy with God or could bring a person to life. The law was not given as a way for men to please God or for a, a way for men to have life. The law is not the life giver. It is the measuring rod. The law was designed to show us that we needed a Savior. It says in the book of Galatians, the law was a tutor or a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. That was the entire point of the law. You would look at the law and say, the law commands and demands, be holy, as holy as God. And you look at your life and say, uh, I'm going to need a savior. The law would say, be perfect, as as perfect as your father in heaven. Oh man, I I need a savior. Be loving, as loving as Jesus. Oh Lord, I need you. I can't. I'm not. Lord, I need you. The law was designed to point us to a savior. See, under the law, man strove to be holy, loving, and perfect like God. But under grace, the Holy Spirit is transforming us into that very image of Christ. Did you know that Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, says that by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified? By the offering, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you are perfect in his sight. Now understand that practically you're not. You're like, That's talking about someone else, dude. If you knew me, no. But your position in Christ is that of perfection. God sees you and says, perfect, complete, done, finished. Not because of what you've done. You say, but no, dude, that's not not me. I'm just not. I'm just not perfect. It's just not me. I'm sorry. And the Lord says, no, it doesn't have anything to do with you or what you've done. Or haven't done. It has to do with what my son did on the cross. It is finished, Jesus said. I've done it all. Not just salvation, but everything. The sanctification. The entire process I've provided for it. Did you know that right now, 
God is fully and completely in love with you and satisfied with you, that he absolutely adores you just the way you are, not because of anything you've done, but because of what his son did on the cross? Did you know that there is nothing you could do to earn more of God's love or favor that Jesus already did it all on the cross? Jesus worked really hard on the cross. Like, the cross was gnarly. So we wouldn't have to work. He worked so hard to deliver us from doing and bring us into just being. God cannot be happier with you than he already is. That's what propitiation is. It means Jesus, he was the propitiation. It means sacrifice that satisfied. Any anger or frustration or disappointment that God could have had, not to mention his wrath for your sin, it was all poured out on Jesus on that cross. Jesus took it upon himself so that God could look at you and just have love for you, compassion towards you, kindness towards you, acceptance of you. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ did. Christ worked hard on the cross so we wouldn't have to work so we could just be and abide. To say that we could do something further to make God more pleased with us than he already is is to say that the cross of Jesus Christ is not enough. Paul said, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. He goes on to tell the Galatians, you have become estranged from Christ. In other words, Christ has become of no effect to you. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you've fallen from grace. In other words, you're, you're so wrapped up in what you can do for God that you no longer rely completely on what Christ has already done for you. Paul would say to the Galatians there, who, who, who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you? What, who has like twisted your mind to think that you could grow and be justified by doing somebody's deceived you and it's deceiving even for us because it's good stuff it's like dude it's mission it's the mission of christ it's missio christi i mean this is good stuff this is good stuff and good stuff is good but it's not the great it is good but it should not be the greatest thing it could be good things but these things are not the greatest things. Did you know that ministry, as good as it is, as holy as it can be, can just become idolatry? Because we begin to exalt the ministry of God instead of the God of the ministry. We forget that it is the mission of Christ, Missio Christi, not Missio Domini. Dominic. It's not my mission. It's the mission of Christ. It is for him and his glory. I know. I know that it can become idolatrous. You know, seven, eight years ago, I was doing, I, was, I had this band and I was, I was doing this music ministry and my entire life was wrapped up in this ministry. Preaching the gospel and ministering to people through music. So much so that I believed it was the entire reason for my existence. I believed that God had created me and saved me for nothing other than this. This was my life. 
It was what I held on to. It was what I stood on. I didn't really know it until Christ stripped it from me. And the foundation on which I stood and the thing which I held on to was just gone. And I was just shook. And I had nothing to stand on. I felt like my life was pointless. There was no reason for me to be alive. In fact, I asked the Lord, Lord, just take me home. Take me home. There's no reason for me to be on this planet. If I'm not doing music, I'm not ministering through music. For three weeks, I knew God was trying to say something to me, but I was so mad and so just like, what? Frustrated and confused. I didn't want to hear God. I didn't want to listen to God. After three weeks, I finally sat down and just said, all right, Lord, what? What? Why? And the Lord spoke to me so sweetly, and he said, Dom, do you really think that I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross and to raise from the dead so you could do ministry, so you could write songs and, or preach the gospel, or teach Bible studies, do my work? That's not why I sent Jesus. I sent Jesus because I wanted you to be with me and you were far away from me. That's why I sent my son into the world because I wanted humanity in my presence. Can't let these things become the greatest things. They're good things, but Christ is the greatest thing. Somebody say amen. amen. The work of, cross, of Christ on the cross, church, it was thorough and complete. Everything that needed to be done has been done. So that we can just rest and abide in him. Now, I'm not saying that this means that we just sit around in our little prayer closets and worship circles loving on Jesus and yet being totally ineffective to the world around us. Otherwise, God would just take us home if that was the whole point. He'd just kill us and take us home. There'd be no reason for us to be here. We wouldn't have to have little prayer closets and worship circles. We'd just be in the presence of God and be great and be wonderful. And it will be. But God has left us here as ambassadors for Christ. So I'm not saying that, that this means we just sit around and, yeah, right. We're in the midst of the Missio Christi series. That's what we're talking about, that, that God has called us to be on mission and be a part of his mission. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that apart from the love and grace of God that comes from intimacy with Jesus Christ, our work is just that, work. You want to be effective for the glory of God and the furtherance of his kingdom? Find yourself a home in the presence of God and then follow him into his mission. You want to be effective for the glory of God and the furtherance of his kingdom? Find yourself a home in the presence of God and then follow him into his mission. As we fasten ourselves to him, we partake of who he is. And in turn, not only are our, our lives transformed, but the world around us is transformed as they see Christ in us. You know, it's become kind of a mantra reality as far as ministry is concerned, and maybe so much so to the point where it just kind of is starting to lose its effect, or it could lose its effect in our hearts because we hear it so often. But it is so potent and so true that true ministry flows from intimacy. True ministry flows from inter intimacy. In other words, apart from being with Christ, 
there is no effective ministry. No effective ministry can come without first being in Jesus and, and letting the ministry be an overflow of that relationship and intimacy with him. I want to encourage you today, church, like Paul and Barnabas encouraged the church in Antioch to continue in the grace of God. Don't just be stagnant in the grace of God. Yes, we are to rest in Christ and to abide in him. Yes, it is the gospel of grace and not of works, but that doesn't mean that we stop moving forward. That doesn't mean that we stop being on mission, but rather we continue to move forward. We continue to be on mission and to advance the kingdom of God, but we continue in the grace of God. Now, in closing, if, if everything that we need to grow in Christ and to be effective in the world around us is given to us by grace through faith, the question is, how do we access that? For salvation, it's easy, right? It's like, I'm a sinner. I know that. I recognize that. I'm willing to repent of my sin and believe on Christ Jesus. I believe he died on the cross and paid the penalty for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead so I could be justified before God. I believe it. I want it. Yes, Lord, I give you my life. It's easy. It's like that. That, that was faith. That was trusting in him. That was receiving. That was grace. It's easy. By grace through faith, we, we don't have to think about it. But we are so bent in our flesh and because of our, our culture to once we have that, okay, now I'm just going to go do, 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 so the Lord is stoked with me. So how? How, how, how do we access this growing, this, this sanctification? Well, it's by, by grace through faith. Faith. That means we wake up every day and we say, Lord, I know that everything that I need today, both for, for my, my holiness and my sanctification and to affect the world around me. Everything that I need is found in the cross of Jesus Christ and in that new covenant that you provided. I believe that, Lord. Yes. And grace. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. What does it mean to be humble, to humble ourselves before God so we can obtain grace from him? I believe that it, it means becoming like a, a little tiny child, like a little, a little baby. You know, I've got a, a two-year-old son. His name's Solomon. Just the sweetest, cutest little kid in the world. But that kid doesn't know how to do a dang thing. <laughs> like, he can't brush his teeth. He can't make himself peanut butter and jelly. He can't change his own diaper. R okay, really quick story. So last night we get home from San Francisco, right, at like midnight. And uh, Solomon, he sleeps in his crib still, but he's learned how, you know, we put him in these footy things, like it's just this big, like, you know, suit, and you zip it up, and it's got a button right here. Like you think it's sure-proof, like the kid can't get out of it. But for the last couple months, we wake up in the morning, and not only has he somehow like unbuttoned, unzipped, slipped out of this thing, and so now the legs are just flapping, but he's still got his arms in, you know, because he doesn't know how to get his arms out. Not only that, but he's learned how to take off his diaper. And so we'll roll into the room, and he wakes up before us, and so he gets all just antsy or whatever, and we'll roll into his room. He's just jumping on the crib, naked, like just naked boy. And so, I mean, we're punishing the kid. We're, you know, we'll spank him, and Solomon, you got to keep your diaper on, and but he does it. He keeps doing it. And so last night, well, it's usually in the morning that this happens. 
But last night, we get home at like midnight, and I'm like, I'm going to go check on Solomon. And so I roll in, and I just see this naked boy laying on the, on the crib. And I was like, what? And so I go over, and Solomon has his feet out of the thing, his diaper is thrown on the floor, and he's just laying like this. Unbelievable. And so we, I go to pick him up because we got to like, I thought he was maybe hot. So we're like, okay, we're going to change him and put on his diaper. And so I go to pick him up and he wakes up and he looks at me and he goes. <laughs> Anyways, Solomon, man, the kid doesn't know how to do anything. He could take off his diaper. We can't change it. He can't make himself food. He can't like get a ride to the store down the street. He can't like... He doesn't know how to do anything. He's totally helpless. And he is forced to be humble before me, his daddy. And he comes to me and he says, Daddy, I need this. And his little two-year-old words, like, Daddy, I, I need that. I need some food. Can you give me something to drink? Everything he needs as a little boy, he can't do. And so he comes to me humbly, and I do it for him. That's how we got to come to God. That's how we come to God, like a little tiny child, just, Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it, Lord. I need you so bad. To grow, to be on mission, to, to, to study your word, to pray, to, to act right in the body of Christ and to be your body, your hands and your feet. Lord, I need you. I can't do it. Humble faith accesses grace. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these wonderful truths. Thank you that on the cross, Lord, you provided all that we need, not just for our salvation, but for our sanctification. And Lord, we just want to humble ourselves before you and say, Lord, we need you. We're sorry for getting so consumed with doing that we forget to just be and to abide. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that as we abide in you, we're going to be more effective. All the stuff we try to do naturally pours out by your spirit working in us. Let's just lift our hands up in a sign of surrender. Lord, we declare that we need you. We ask that you would come. You'd empower us to bring glory to your name. As you'd fill us with your spirit, Lord. We trust in you. We declare that we need you. We know you're all that we need. Be glorified in our lives, Lord. As we respond now in worship, you know, sometimes it really helps me when I physically change my, my position. It helps my mind to follow. You know, sometimes I'll get on my knees or maybe stand or get on my face on the floor. My heart, my spirit follow my body and say, yeah, we need to be humble before God right now and Maybe you need to do that as we, we respond in worship. There's communion available up on the stage to remember what Christ has done on the cross. His blood that was spilled, his body that was broken to purchase this new covenant that we now stand in. On the right side of the left, there's people that would be so stoked to pray with you. Whatever it may be regarding things we talked about today or just stuff going on in your life. Or maybe you just need to thank God. Maybe you just need to glory in God and say, Lord, we love you. We're basking in your presence. You're so good. 
But let's do it. Let's not let this next 30 minutes or whatever be in vain.